Okay, so let's let's get our Bibles. Um, it is my fault that it won't be on the screen, uh, at least that I know of. So don't look at Canada. Look at me. Uh, but anyway, we're in Daniel chapter four, and uh, yeah, we're starting in chapter four. Um, Book of Daniel is structured kind of in an interesting way. It's mixed with a lot of narrative, a lot of really famous stories that you probably know, uh, like the like the the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, shout out to the early years of Veggie Tales, right? So, uh, so yeah, these are a lot of these stories are very familiar. Those are toward the beginning portion of the book. Whereas the latter portion of the book is way more uh, prophetic literature and would probably resemble to you more like the book of Revelation. It looks more like that kind of literature. It's like, what in the world is going on? What does this mean? Um, so um, what we're doing, we're starting in Daniel 4. Um, and uh, we're going to look at a dream of, of a particular king. So I know uh, people like to use uh, a certain word a lot that I'm about to say in a second. And uh, the, I, I think it's an overused word. And it, it's kind of unfortunate because I think it's a word that has a good place in English, I guess. <laughs> um, but I think this is an appropriate time to use this word. The word I'm thinking of is the word epic. Um, how many of you guys think that word is kind of overused? Epic. I feel like it's overused. At least, like, in the earlier 2000s, it was way overused. Epic, bro. Stuff like that. Um, whereas, it, it, has a, it has a literal meaning. Uh, in fact, it has a meaning attached to literature. So the book of Daniel is, I'm going to say, literally epic. Um, as in, closer to the classic definition of the word. And by that, I mean, it consists of... Of a very grand scale, a cosmic scale battle of good and evil. I know we have a lot of people that like to read books in here. Um, so, so, you know, books like, uh, man, I'm drawing a blank. Well, for one, Endgame, that's an epic. That's an epic. It has a billion characters. It's end of the world stuff. Um, old, more old school stuff. You have like uh, Lord of the Rings. That's an epic. Arguably the best of all time. I would argue that. Um, but tonight's text is also epic in that sense. Kings, kingdoms, uh, battles, beasts, um, you know, heavenly beings, good and evil. Usually epic stories, though, focus on a stereotypical good guy, a noble hero. Uh, whereas the difference tonight in Daniel 4 the protagonist is actually uh, what we might call a bad guy. Um, a guy who's arrogant and evil and unfair and selfish and greedy. But he's the main character of this text, it seems. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. I will also have you know, epic stories are usually made up. They're usually fake. But this story is true. Even if it is true... One thing I want you to think of while, while we're going through it is what does this have what lesson do we have tonight as young adults studying the story of Nebuchadnezzar? Who cares? Um, 
What business does a Christian youth service have in reading the story of a pagan Babylonian king from like forever ago? We'll get to that toward the end of the story. But first, I want to draw you in to the narrative itself of this epic. So Daniel chapter 4, look at verse 4. So it's going to be mostly in first person. Notice there it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar. So a lot of the personal pronouns are referring to Nebuchadnezzar in first person. Here we go. Daniel 4, verse 4. Okay. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house, and I was prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream. But they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. Okay. All right, so what's going on? Uh, First, let's get some contextual questions out of the way, since we are in chapter 4. It's not ideal, but here we are. Okay, so, so... so who is Nebuchadnezzar? You know, if you know like all the answers, maybe maybe let's let's, let's keep our answers short. But let, let let's see if we can we can put some base knowledge together. What do we know about Nebuchadnezzar from maybe past knowledge here? Yes, my man in the middle. What's your name? Uh, What's that? Nathan. Nathan. Okay. King of Babylon. Got it. Ben. You're going to say that? All right. William, are you going to spoil the story? No. Okay, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Um, he was the king of Babylon who took over Israel during the time of captivity. And he was the king who praised God. And- okay, that's a spoiler. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> but very good. Very good. So the first thing is really important uh, in the context earlier in the timeline. So William said there, Nebuchadnezzar... Is, is the king, and to be, to be technical here, because Israel is divided into two kingdoms. It's kind of too complicated to explain right now, but it was just divided into two kingdoms. And Judah, so there was Israel and Judah. Judah was the one that had the real kings because they were the sons of David. You know, hence the whole emphasis of Jesus being from the line of Judah because that's the king. That's the king dynasty. Okay, so anyway, Nebuchadnezzar besieged Judah. Go to the beginning of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. Very, very beginning. First verse. Daniel 1 verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Israel and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and place the vessels in the treasury of his God. His is Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, 
This is where Daniel comes in. Both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans is, is kind of another way of saying Babylonians. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature. I skipped to verse 17. I'm sorry, I didn't say that. Verse 17. As for these four youths, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, and Daniel, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, None was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are the, those are the Israelite names of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which they inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Alright, so, so we understand Nebuchadnezzar, he took Judah, which was the real royal remnant, you could say, of Israel. Um, what do we know? What do we know about Daniel in connection to Nebuchadnezzar? What's Daniel doing in here? Who Nebuchadnezzar at times calls Belteshazzar. That's a Babylon. He renamed him in Babylonian language. So, um, what do we know about Daniel in connection with Nebuchadnezzar? What's Daniel doing there? In the court of a pagan king. Yeah. Okay, he's, he's like a counselor. And specifically it says there, verse 17, he understands visions and dreams. Okay, which is kind of like a, it's kind of like a, like a shout out to Joseph. You know, it's, it's like a backtrack. No, I'm, I'm not even joking. <laughs> I think it's a shout out to Joseph. Okay, so, so let's summarize up what we know about this book so far. It starts with what? Judah being captive, or captured, excuse me, being captured by Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, which, uh, which is not like a really great nation. But within this nation, you can see that God is still doing stuff and certain persons that he has appointed are succeeding and accomplishing his purposes even for an ungodly or uh, even for an, uh, a pagan king. So our text tonight is actually the second time that Daniel interprets a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the first time you can read about it earlier in the book, but here let's see. Uh, let's let's go to Daniel four, verse ten. Here is the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, the second one in this book of Daniel. So, before before I continue, so we're going to read the dream, then we're going to try and visualize it, and then we're going to see. If we can understand what the dream means without using the cheat sheet, let's see if we can figure out what the dream means, and then we'll see how Daniel actually interprets. It. So don't don't look ahead just yet. And if you know it, you know just just enjoy your knowledge for a second and let the other people experience it for the first time. All right. So Daniel chapter four, verse ten. The visions of my head. That's this is Nebuchadnezzar talking. The visions of my head as I lay in my bed were these. I saw. And behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven. And it was visible 
to the end of the whole earth. Okay, so pause real quick. This is, this is during a time period where they don't know that the earth is round. So imagine, you, you know, you're on the ground floor and, you're, and there's this tree that is so big, instead of clouds covering the skies, it's just the tree's branches covering the whole skies. That's how big the tree is. It just covers the whole sky. Okay, so continuing on. That's why it says to the end of the whole earth. Verse 12. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. Beast means land animal. It doesn't mean like, like monsters. It means that's just a primitive word for land animal. Uh, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh fed from it. 13. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven, let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. So the tree has been called a heat. So notice that. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end of the living, may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, Daniel, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Isn't that kind of cool how he's a non-believer and he still sees a difference in Daniel? He doesn't even know what he's saying, but he still does see a difference. Anyway, that's not the point. So let's try to visualize this dream. So what I... What I, what I wanted to do to try and help us visualize this dream is I asked a couple of our, of our friends here to, to draw certain parts of the dream on this whiteboard in this room, which is supposed to be out here, um, but let me go get it real quick. Try to understand. Now, what do you think the dream means? What do you guys think? Yes? Um, I think the dream means, like, when they're in the garden of the meeting, yeah. and then they have the big tree in the middle, um, mm-hmm. and then after they ate the tree, God said it chopped it down, but he still kept the roots in the earth. So, Jesus is the best. Um, okay. 
Alright, so the tree is the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Is that what you're saying? Okay. And uh, it's chopped down, but it'll grow back because Jesus is the roots. Is that what you're saying? Okay. So there's one theory. Um, like I said, don't look ahead. You know, that's not fun. Let's try and interpret the dream. So what, what, is, what do you guys think it means? What are some theories? Before I remember the story after reading it, I was thinking that it was perhaps a metaphor for the fall of Babylon Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I don't know if you heard that because I water found super loud. Um, so he said he thinks the tree symbolizes the kingdom of Babylon, which will eventually be cut down. They'll eventually be crushed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you can kind of see the aftermath, but but it's it's taken care of. Okay, so maybe the tree maybe the tree symbolizes sin. Okay, any other theories out there? Yeah, Enzo. Okay, so the tree symbolizes Nebuchadnezzar's arrogance growing to the point where it's unsustainable. Yeah, okay. Anybody else? Alright. There's a lot of possibilities, right? Okay. So Daniel actually gives his interpretation. Let's see what he says. Look at verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed. So, he's extremely concerned. So whatever it is, really bad. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream of the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew great, became strong, so that its top reached to the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, and in which beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches and the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, 
and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It's a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Okay. So, a couple of the interpretations had some of the elements of the proper interpretation we just saw. So, the tree does represent uh, Nebuchadnezzar mostly. Um, so we so we got that we got that down. Um, what does the what does the abundance, the fruit, and the fact that so many animals live inside and, and underneath? What do you guys think that means? Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that's right. Because look at, look at verse 12. It says, uh, at the very end, it says, It was food for all. Food was provided for every creature that was within its reach, which was the whole earth. Um, of course, it's very exaggerated, you know. Um, but yeah, that he provides. That's a good point. Um, what else? What, what else do we think is symbolized in the... In the Bigness, if you will, of the tree and all the and the birds and the fruit and yeah. Prosperity. He actually uses that word, verse twenty-seven. Um, he says, "Repent, so that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity, which implies you are prosperous." That's what he's saying. Okay. So the abundance of the fruit and the trees living in there signifies a prosperity, and because of his prosperity, he's able to provide. Okay, what do uh, what do the beasts, uh, the land animals represent? Is there a clear indication of what those those things represent? What do you guys think? It's okay if the answer is no. Uh, if there doesn't seem to be an answer to that. What's it? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, the beasts are his people. The beasts are, are his people. Okay. All right, what do you think of that? Okay. 
So the allies whom they protect. Okay. Um, well, I don't think I don't think there's a clear answer as to what the what the beasts are. Um, I think the point, though, here's what I think. I think the point is about is is uh, implied here. Look at verse 17. Right at the very end, uh, the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. All right. So beasts are lowly creatures. They're physically low to the ground. And and you're going to see... So also in the vision, the, the thing that turns into a beast comes back up. It, it reverts back to its original form. Um, so what I think it is, is there's... It's chopped down. It's transformed into a lowly creature. And then from that lowly state, it is lifted up. Back to like a restored state. So that's kind of my theory. I generally don't like theorizing all that much in sermons. But because it's like, does anyone know what this even means? Why are you even talking? <laughs> but because it's, a, because it's a vision, I think there's a little bit of flexibility there. Um, so another thing, another thing with... So let's look at the other component of the dream. Hopefully this is right side up. There we go. Alright, so so you can see right here, this is the this is the guy that the watcher, as he's called. A holy one that came down from heaven. That's what a pagan called him. He was probably seeing an angel. That's what I think. Um, and do we remember what, what the angel says? He says kind of the latter portion of the vision. How do we sum up what he says? Chop it down. Um, yeah, chop it down. And then there's a certain curse on the, the stuff that remains of the stump. The curse is that... That's actually really cool. It's like the roots are turning into the, to the, to the beast. Um, so the beast turns into... Or sorry. The thing that was chopped down turns into this beast. The very thing that it used to be over... And now it's brought down to that same state. What do you think is going to be Nebuchadnezzar's response? So, so Daniel's saying, this vision is about you. So remember the very end. He, sa- he says, verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. And your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel is basically saying, you have a chance to, for this dream not to happen, for this dream not to come true. Okay, what do you think Nebuchadnezzar's response is going to be? Enzo. Okay, like he'll humble himself? Yes. You think he'll respond the right way? No. Oh. Okay, sorry. So, so what do you mean by humiliation? Wait, are you looking ahead? Wait, don't look ahead. No. I was trying to look ahead. The next chapter says humiliation. Okay. Well, there we go. Well, that could mean that he humbled himself, or he was humiliated. Okay. Who else is raising their hand that haven't called? Yes. 
That's not gonna happen, no way. Look how, look how prosperous I am. Okay, I think that's a good theory. Uh, anybody else? So who thinks you can, well, I mean, who thinks you're gonna respond well? I don't know how many people looked ahead. <laughs> Raise your hand if you think he's gonna respond well. Raise your hand. All right, whatever. We got a one. <laughs> now, <laughs> this, is, this is a church homeschool crowd, okay? We go to FCS, people are like, Noah's Ark, what's that? So, so you know, they're in different contexts. Okay, so let's look at Nebuchadnezzar's response. Also, I hope you're asking yourself, I mean, this is kind of cool, and it's like, kind of cool that, you know, people drew on the, on the board and stuff, but uh, what in the world is a, how is this a use service? What is this? We'll get to that in a second. Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. All of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon him. At the end of the 12 months, okay, so a year passes and nothing happens. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence? And for the glory of my majesty. Famous last words, right? So one year later, effectively, Nebuchadnezzar has ignored the warning. Maybe he thought of himself, hmm, I mean, one year has passed. Maybe God was bluffing. My kingdom reaches to celestial heights. What kingdom is greater, higher than this kingdom? Who will even dare to tower this to topple this tower of Babylon. Look at verse 28. Or verse 31, excuse me. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you. Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Word for word, the exact same sentence in the vision was just said to him. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and he ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. So, little did Nebuchadnezzar know, it is God who makes kingdoms rise and fall. Remember what we read in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1? It says, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. So who, get, who, gave, who gave Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar? The Lord gave Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. The only reason Babylon beat Judah is because God gave the victory to Babylon over Judah. It's like, what? I thought, I thought God was the God on the side of the, of the, of the Judites, not the Babylonians. <laughs> Welcome to God's sovereignty. So, he's subjected. So Nebuchadnezzar is subjected to be a, a beast of burden. This slimy... He's not even like a proper animal. He's like a mix of all this weird stuff. Eagle's feathers, claws. He has like wet, 
Am- amphibian. That's what it is, right? Amphibian skin. He's this monstrosity. He's not even a regular animal. So God stripped it from his hand. He shatters Nebuchadnezzar. This, this is absolute humiliation. And Nebuchadnezzar has one last response to it all. Look at verse 34. At the, end of, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And my reason returned to me. His brain started working again. And I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored Him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom... My majesty, my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me. And I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and I extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right. And his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So that's the end of the text for tonight. Now, like I said, what, what purpose does this serve for us? Why is this in the Bible? Why are we going over this together? Because you, you might be thinking to yourself and saying, Yeah, serves him right. Guy was a fool. God even warned him. Gave him a year's worth of, you know, pardon, I guess. Warned him what the consequences of his pride would be. It's only just that God would humble him, obviously. And you are right. That's actually what Nebuchadnezzar says himself. Look at what he says. All his works are right and his ways are just. Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. Um, but I hope you, you see uh, all of us misuse our power. All of us, when we sin, we say... God's bluffing. <laughs> there's, there's no consequence for my sin. Everything's going to be okay. It's not going to shoot me with a lightning bolt. So, every bit that you condemn Nebuchadnezzar, you actually condemn yourself. Which is the right verdict. We also lie to ourselves by saying... Look what I've done. Look at, look at my majesty, my glory. I deserve this because I did it myself. I worked for it. Or we're on the opposite end. And we say, I, I don't want this. I don't want this high status and high purpose that God has chosen. I'll trade it for my own pleasure over here in the corner. One way or another, no mere mortal can keep the throne. If you look at Nebuchadnezzar and you think to yourself, I could do a better job. Uh, history is not a liar. No. One way or another, 
uh, we either use our power for more corruption and injustice, or we prefer a dark place to destroy ourselves in secret. Every single one of us, in a way of speaking, has forfeited any birthright that has been given to us. On your own, that is. We're all just another Nebuchadnezzar or another Esau. Now, if you don't remember the story of Esau, let me read it real quick. Genesis 25, verse 29. Genesis 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, his uh, twin brother Esau came in from the field. And he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil, stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Even with the little responsibility we've been given, we have all, one way or another, forsaken the blessing that God has promised. We are all failed leaders. We are all failed disciples on our own. So, in other words, absolutely no one seems to be worthy of this throne. So what is man to do? Didn't God make... God made man in his own image. So who can truly bear this image, this status of representing God? Look at Revelation 5. John, the Apostle John, has the same thought. Look at Revelation 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. No one. No angel in heaven. No creature on earth. Absolutely no one in all of history worthy to open the scroll. Revelation 5, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. (laughs) So Jesus has become our birthright. This is what Paul means in Colossians when he says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn from the dead. That's a weird one. You ever think about that one? Firstborn from the dead? Chopped down. Risen back up. Absolutely everything, even death, is its inheritance. So this is wonderful news. How is it wonderful news for us? Like, what does that have to do with us? Jesus is worthy. How does that relate to me? Because I don't deserve it. I think it's pretty clear. Instead of us having... To become us having to become unrecognizable monsters. It says that Jesus became disfigured for us. 
That's what Isaiah 53 says. That the Messiah was beaten beyond recognition. He was so badly beaten that he couldn't even be recognized by the people that grew up with him. In Galatians it it says he became accursed for us. Look at Romans 6, verse 5 through 23. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died to sin. No, sorry. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So look, if if you're in here today and you're in Christ, um, before Christ, our our sins, the, the consequences of our sins should be more and more obvious to us. How we destroyed ourselves and corrupted ourselves. Basically cursed ourselves. We become monsters because of our sin. But Paul is saying, if you are in Christ, you should no longer consider yourself a monster. You should consider yourself with the resurrected Jesus. You're on that team. You are in a resurrected, uh, spiritually speaking, state. Of course, the, the physical resurrection is coming, still to come. But that's why he's saying you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. You should consider yourselves that your kingdom destroyed and Jesus' kingdom, that root of Judah, it grew back up. That, that's what your tree is now. It's Jesus growing out of you. I know there's a lot of mixture of metaphors but we're trying, to, we're trying to talk about things that are, that are abstract, that are spiritual, that are invisible. So the metaphors are there to help us understand what Christ has accomplished. So look at Romans 6 verse 12. Romans 6 verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have brought forth Brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under the law. But under grace. Well. We could go on. But I think. I hope, I hope the message is clear. When we read about this warning. That Nebuchadnezzar faces. Of course we don't have a kingdom the size of. You know that Nebuchadnezzar had. Um, but, but essentially th- this is what we do when we, when we reject repentance from God we're saying you're bluffing I'll have my fun for a year and then I mean who cares what happens after that it'll be worth it but we, but we know it's, it's not worth it we end up like that when we, when we choose not to repent 
When we choose not to heed or pay attention to the warnings that God says to us. We shouldn't, we shouldn't consider ourselves the life of, of a beast. Of corruption. We should consider ourselves to be part of a life of, of righteousness. That we not present our members, our, literally our bodies, to unrighteousness. Uh, so so when, we, when we break out into smaller groups, that's, that's what we need to focus on. God is calling us to uh, repentance. And uh, no, I don't see anyone in here that's turned into a full beast <laughs> just yet. Which means that God, God has extended his, his grace to us. For those of us that have yet to be saved, and those of us that are saved, God shows his mercy to us. And allowing us moments like this to confess to one another and to, like Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar to do. Uh, look what he says there at, at the end. Verse 27. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. Um, so with whatever responsibility God has given us that we are forfeiting away, Whatever birthright we, we think we've held on to, uh, just know that there's, there's no way of, of earning this back, but that Jesus has redeemed us and given us His inheritance. Therefore, we should, we should live and consider ourselves in such a way. He has shown us grace. So, um, our realization should be the same as Nebuchadnezzar's at the end here. And we'll finish with this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven. All His works are right and His ways are just. Those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. So let's ask God to humble up, that we be able to humble ourselves rather than have to be brought to humiliation and destruction and destroy other people too. Let's ask God tonight to humble ourselves. That we not look at our lives and feel so pumped about ourselves. But that we look at what Christ has done and be totally satisfied and proud about what Jesus has done. What he has accomplished. His birthright. His heritage. That he has uh, given to us. So let's go ahead and pray and then we will break up. Uh, Father, thank you uh, tonight. I thank you for the attention of uh, all the people here. Um, I really hope the, the, the call to repentance would be really powerful and uh, urgent in all of our minds, including myself. Uh, so God, we, we, we confess to you that we are all forsakers, unfaithful people. We've broken contract with you over and over and over again. And so, God, we thank you so much for not counting those sins against us, but for crediting, crediting those sins to your son's sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. So, God, you get, you get all the glory for all that you have done, for saving us. And, God, I pray for anyone in here that doesn't understand this, but, but perhaps is understanding it for the first time now, that they would break off their sins and, and practice righteousness. That you would change their heart, their heart of stone into 
a tender heart of flesh. That they no longer identify with sin. They no longer be in bondage to sin. But that they be absolutely fused and bound to righteousness. To life. So God we thank you for the work of the spirit. And and all that he does. And how he teaches us the scriptures. So God I I pray for the Holy Spirit. That he would would minister to all the people here. And that we'd be able uh, to overlook the the shortcomings and limitations. Of of perhaps what I said. or, Or... or different distractions, and that you would speak to these students tonight to, to be humble and, and to live uh, boasting only in the resurrection and the victory that is found in Christ. So we thank you, God, for giving us uh, not, a, not an empty repentance, but one that, that is, that is uh, comforted, that, that you comfort. You comfort those who, who make themselves low, who take refuge in you. So, so that is my ultimately my, my overall prayer, that everyone in here would take refuge in, in the kingdom of Christ, this insurmountable kingdom that is above every other kingdom. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's break up into, uh, of course, middle, sc- middle school, high school, boys, girls. Uh, so, uh, Kev, you got middle school? Okay, so high school, go in the room, go in that one. Uh, you guys know where to go? I don't know what the girls are doing. Every girl go with Anna? All right.